Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease. This is when life gives you Parkinson's. Sometimes the Parkinson's experience is hard to put into words, and sometimes putting it into words and onto paper is helpful and healing. My hands, my hands are shaking. My patience is breaking, aching from the weight of this mortal coil. What I once thought lay ahead, certainties, plans made, the future set, and now scribbled out, undone in this muddled head. My world may be changing, but my mind stays strong. I must carry on, face the day, and find another way of looking at it, a way to see forwards, to see that light not fade away. So today, on this sunny morning, this sunny day, this April day, run, run for me, run for them, run for everyone that doesn't even know of it just yet. Run for more time, more movement, stillness, freedom and peace from this cruel, painful, god-awful disease. Run for better, run for more, run for a cure, run like you've never run before. We wish you the best from the bottom of our hearts, for speed. That's Run, written and read by UK Parkinson's advocate David Sangster. You met him on the podcast earlier this season in the episode called Deep Brain Stimulation. Is it worth it? I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease nine years ago now at 29. Since then, I've had DBS surgery just a year ago now, almost. It's been very successful, should I say, apart from my speech, which is a little bit slurry, but there you go. There's always a trail somewhere. I do blog. I've blogged in the past. I do a lot of video content online on YouTube. Um, but generally, I just I do a lot of tweeting, so I almost micro-blog. So if you want to look me up on Twitter, you can do at 1in37parkinsons, or just look me up on Google. I'm sure you'll find something there of interest. It's helped me massively. From my first blog in, what, 2014? Um, since since then, I've, I've not stopped, really. I've been blogging and vlogging since. So, yeah. That's me. So, as you guessed, this episode is about the power of the written word. Joining me on this podcast journey is author, writer, wife, partner in Parkinson's, and my best friend, Rebecca Gifford. <laughs> Hi, honey. Hello, my love. So you know that I believe that writing can be powerful for anyone. and can do wonderful things for people dealing with all kinds of adversities. Mm-hmm. It can do things like reduce stress increase personal awareness, and writing can even make you happier and improve your health and general wellness. I believe writing or the creative expression of your choice, whether it's painting or sculpture or dance, whatever, is is a life skill. It's a tool to help you cope and thrive when life is challenging. And we all have challenges. Yeah, I, I don't know that a lot of people think of it as a tool. Like, like most people think of writing like, oh, I got to write an essay for school, or you know, I got to write right. a grocery list. But they don't think about writing for themselves unless they already have a journal practice. Right, and it's something that they say, oh, well, if I have time, it's it's something that's just an add on to, well, you know, it's like that class that I want to take, but I don't really have time to take it or I don't have the money to take it. And and so they put it off as being something that's extraneous as opposed to something that can be really helpful on a daily basis to get through whatever you're getting through and to process things. Yeah, to build it into your care team is your writing skill. Right. Well, in accessing that open space that that inherent creativity that we all have in the center of our heads is that can bring peace and clarity and even healing amidst what can feel like chaos. Mm-hmm. A writer um, who I like a lot is Martha Beck, and she has a great quote, writing is meditation on steroids. Ooh, cool. Because it still brings you that peace and time to do inner uh, reflection, and it's usually done alone or in a quiet space or, is, or at least with you sitting with a notebook or or um, a laptop and just having some quiet time with yourself. But it moves things. A little, you have to put words to something. You're creating something along with it. So it moves things 
along a little bit faster, like an active meditation. Well, and an example of that for me is like if I'm having trouble going to sleep and I'm processing my day through my head, it's almost better for me to write down what I'm thinking so I can get it out of my head so I can sleep. Right. Because if you're just sitting and kind of stewing on it, it's still just, it can become the cyclical thought or idea or image or something that kind of winds around and around and around until you have a place to put it. And so keeping a journal next to your bed in that situation is a great way to just write it down, get it out. It doesn't have to be a lot. It can just be a few sentences. And then just say, okay, I'm putting that onto this page so that I can find my quiet space again. Yeah, I I abuse the Notes app on the uh, iPhone. Like (laughs) I think I've got like 200 different things started on there. I do that too, (laughs) right? And And often I don't even go back to it. Or it's I just want something to, and I can't sit- find it. Where did right. it go? Hello. <laughs> but it's sitting in my notes folder as this thing that I just needed to get out or write down or whatever. And then either I remember what I re- need to remember without referring to it again and don't have to go back to that thought. Or it just becomes a, a thing that I just put somewhere so that I could get back to that right. quiet space. And it's, for people who aren't aware, uh, you're here as our resident writer. You've been an author, a freelance writer, a writing coach, a blogger. You've led writing workshops for non-writers going through like adversity like Parkinson's. And you've had your work published in several magazines. And probably the most impressive feat of all is that you always seem to know what to write in my Valentine's Day card, in my birthday card, in the Christmas card. <laughs> like, it's just perfect. And I'm like, I love you, Larry. <laughs> well, after 20 years, it gets harder and harder <laughs> to write something different in the Valentine, Valentine's Day card and the anniversary card. Yes. And the birthday card. And you can only and say, <laughs> I love you more than cheese. A couple of times. <laughs> Every few years that comes back out there, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Well, it's in my, it's in my repertoire. Yes. <laughs> it's in your toolbox. That's right. <laughs> well, and even for people with Parkinson's, it's harder for you to write those cards than it Physically, used to be. Physically, yeah. Like right? my handwriting is really small. <laughs> they leave too much space for my hand, my face, my signature. <laughs> <laughs> well, and people with Parkinson's do tend to have trouble writing and typing and whatnot. But if you can get there or use an audio app or something like that, that putting things into words has lots of benefits and can make a difference in your life and in the life of others as well. And here are a few of the ways that I can... Ladies and gentlemen, a few ways (laughs) writing can benefit you. Bullet points. Um, (laughs) It's a way to release and process our emotions and thoughts. And this is just the simplest of, of... benefits because it's just a place to put all of the crazy stuff that comes up and all the crazy feelings and thoughts and things that can make, especially if they're making things confusing, decisions confusing, your life, a path, your relationships. If there's, if it's starting to feel foggy, this is a great way to clear through the fog. Yeah. It's so, like a wrestling match with your thoughts. It's like getting the wrestling out of your head and onto paper. Exactly. And For me, there are times when I'm feeling overwhelmed or foggy, but I know if I sit down and am forced to put words to something, it becomes more clear. It's like an extension of my mind and heart. And so something I'm dealing with can feel or even appear to be just this jumbled mess. But once I sit down, the fog begins to clear. And I often... This is the best part. I often discover things I didn't realize were coloring the situation, especially how I was reacting to it. So this awareness, acknowledging more, in more detail and at a deeper level what's going on that came from forcing myself to sit down and write about it is often the first step in my own healing. So uh, you're not supposed to be surprised by something you write and then delete it because you're, you're like, no, what did <laughs> I say that for? That seems shocking and negative <laughs> and whatnot. No. <laughs> Your journal is just for you, and that's when it's most valuable. Well, well, yeah. And a lot of people like to write at like a blog or whatever for other people. For sure, and that can be an extension of that. When you do choose to share it, it's a way to feel heard. Writing offers me an opportunity to say something in the way that I want to say it, to put some thought into it and make sure that I'm saying it in the clearest, most effective way of communicating it. As humans, I really believe that we all want to be understood. There's a deep joy that comes from uh, connecting with someone and, and having them hear what you're saying and get that 
literal or figurative, I hear you, I get you in response. And we light the way for others. Mm. We It shows others that we see their painful journey because we're on one or have been on one and are willing to talk about it. And with that power, we are all strong enough to get to the beautiful morning and lessons on the other side. Wow. Okay. So that vulnerability is sort of like a light. It's a connection. Yes. People respond to that. The more vulnerable you are, the more honest you are, the more people can identify with what you're saying and the the journey that you've been on. And it can be fiction. It can be poetry. It can be personal essay. No matter what it is, it's like there's a human experience that people are identifying with. Hi, I'm Sharon Krischer, otherwise known as Twitchy Woman. I was diagnosed 11 years ago with Parkinson's disease. Like many of you, I was afraid to let anyone know about my diagnosis. It took literally five years for me to become more comfortable with that. It all changed in March 2015 when I started writing my blog called Twitchy Woman, My Adventures with Parkinson's. You can find it at www.twitchywoman.com. Larry asked me to tell you why I write and how it has helped me and my readers. So here is my story. I started writing about Parkinson's in 2014. After my therapist asked me to write my story, I had never considered myself a writer prior to that time. It was always tortuous for me, but once I started writing my story, I could not stop. Over 3,100 words later, I was ready to show it to him, but not anyone else. Then something happened. I had not officially come out with Parkinson's, but people in the community were finding me and asking me to speak to their relative friend, co-worker, who'd just been diagnosed. At some point, I started thinking that a blog would be a better way to reach more people and give them the information that they need. When I was diagnosed, I could only find one blog. Four years later, there was still not a lot, so I signed up with WordPress, took an online course, and started writing. I was totally clueless about this new way of communicating. My first post was in March of 2015, and was seen initially by 15 people I knew who might be interested. I never thought it would continue as long as it did. Now I have over 3,000 followers around the world. I try to keep my blog upbeat and informational, showing that you can live a good life with Parkinson's and how you do it gives others hope. I think that is what you, Larry, and I are doing. We are giving others with Parkinson's hope through my blog and through your podcasts. As for me, writing has become my obsession, but also my entry into the greater Parkinson's world. I have made many wonderful friendships through my writing, and of course the dopamine rushes you get when you see people are responding are always a bonus. I could be out shopping or gambling or following some other obsession like many others with PD, so I think this is a much healthier outlet for my energy. Writing also keeps me honest. I have to live the life I write about or I would not be credible. So the benefit for me is that 11 plus years later, I'm doing pretty darn well. And that makes it all worthwhile. Well, and, you know, Parkinson's has to do with chemicals in the brain and dopamine and whatnot. But stories also have to do with chemicals in the brain. When you tell a great story, it releases all sorts of great chemicals that makes people more empathetic to you, that also makes people pay more attention to you. So it gets their attention. They lean forward. They lean in. And they and they care about you when you start telling a great story. Absolutely. I, you and I have talked about this since our first date. about the power of storytelling and how stories bind us. They lift us all up. They show us that we're all flawed, but also immeasurably beautiful. In those flaws and in those cracks is where the light comes, as Leonard Cohen would say. So they show us that we're all united in that humanity and in the tragedies and the 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 celebrations and all the things that we share, there are reasons why certain kinds of stories and characters and archetypes are common to all cultures and races and religions, every socioeconomic group, because our humanity transcends our differences. It's They reveal us. They reveal humanity. They reveal the unity that we all have, and they illustrate this over and over and over again. There are movies and books that are beloved in every corner of the world, and there are reasons for that because these archetypes, these stories, these people resonate across 
all boundaries. Well, and, and it, it reminds me of uh, the improv that I'm learning, uh, where you celebrate failure and scars and 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 the the ugliness of life. You know, if you if you make a mistake, it's not a mistake. If you if you if you're sick, it's it's an opportunity to to explore that and to be curious about it and to to use that for good. Yeah. And I would love for that to be part of the writing process for anybody looking to do that, whether they consider themselves a quote unquote good writer or not, or a person who, well, I just don't write. I've never enjoyed it. I identify it with school. Um, I would I would love for people to have more of that yes and attitude, the improv attitude about it. Mm-hmm. Just put something down on paper. You're the only person who's going to see it if that's your choice. Right. So just start and see what comes. People with Parkinson's are writing books. You know, Michael J. Fox has several, and so do a lot of people I know. Uh, we may have a book someday. We've talked about it. Um, look for it uh, in the year 2025 in a bookstore <laughs> near you. Uh, poems. I've written poems, journals, articles, blogs, diaries, snarky tweets, jokes, and memes. And Like, we're, we're, we're writing all the time. I'm on Twitter. People are tweeting at me all the time. We, we asked our community, uh, the uh, When Life Gives You Parkinson's community, to share their writing uh, by reading it aloud on speakpipe.com slash when life gives you Parkinson's. And we heard from a lot of you, uh, and we're going to share some of those during the course of this podcast. We heard from Martino Costa. I'm, I'm born in Trieste, a city in Italy. They diagnosed me with Parkinson's disease on, uh, a pro, yes, I think one year ago, one year ago. And he did uh, offer to share a poem, and it's called Thank You. Thank you. For every kiss from my wife, for the smiles of my children, for the sleepless nights, for the hidden cries, for the endless evenings around the table, for all the travel, for solitude, for my parents, for our dear family, for Anna's sweet death, for the sea, for the mountains, for all the brothers, for the mission, for the friends I'll never see again, for those I'll see again, for poverty, thank you for Parkinson's, for every announcement of, of your love, because you have patience, for all beautiful houses we have lived in, for all the good food and wine, for every Eucharist. Beautiful. Yeah, isn't that nice? Yeah. Simple. Yeah. It doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't no. have, yeah. It just needs to be authentic. Just gets it out there, right? Mm-hmm. We also have a poem from our friend Johnny Aitchison in Leicester, England. <laughs> Parkinson's, Parkinson's, you came unannounced. Slowly and gradually until you pounced. There's lots of advice about what you should do. But if you have Parkinson's, you should exercise too. It doesn't matter when or with who, because exercising Parkinson's is good for you. Did you tell him to write that? (laughs) (laughs) I loved that poem. (laughs) What a great great advocate he is. Uh, And here's one more from Christy Daniels in Boston. Upon waking, I unfurl my fiddlehead feet then stretch my torpid limbs. Grateful they oblige me one more borrowed day. Oh, man. Is that imagery or what? I know, the fiddlehead feet. Uh, Tell people what a fiddlehead is. Well, fiddlehead fern is... It's it's curly. It's one of the things that you can forage for. It's like a like spiral mushrooms. green thing that you can right. boil and fry, and it's delicious. It's really delicious, yeah. But it's it's all curled and spiraled up, so I, you know exactly what she what she means because you wake with your feet feeling like fiddlehead ferns. Many I'm just going to call them fiddleheads. They're not even feet anymore. I know it's beautiful imagery. Your memoir. Cancer Happens, Coming of Age with Cancer, was about your experience with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It was published 17 years ago. I don't know that a lot of people in the Parkinson's community even knows that. What was that process like for you, and how did it help you? The story behind the memoir is exactly where I learned all of these benefits. So it's a perfect illustration of all of the stuff that we're talking about, about the writing process. It's 
it's where I learned the true power of creative expression as a tool to cope and heal. The memoir was inspired and came to be because of a short story I'd written. It was called At the Bottom of Elvis's Trash Can. <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember that story. So I was – I wrote it because I was trying to make sense of everything that I was feeling. I was – here I was alive after following some difficult cancer treatments over a year and a half or so. Um, but I was depressed and kind of rudderless, confused about – where to go next or I should I kept telling myself I should feel really hopeful and enthusiastic about what comes next and I was not so uh, in this kind of, I used this out of feeling out of control feeling to uh, write a story and I ended up writing this short story about a quote unquote young woman losing, <laughs> losing what a stretch right she was losing her hair during cancer treatments so that gave me an outlet for some of the things that I'd never expressed, some of the darkest fears and strangest thoughts and weird vanity pictures and all kinds of stuff that was coming up during the cancer experience. And it it helped me see more clearly what I was feeling and a bit of why. And through that, I was able to start to see what I was meant to learn and what felt so meaningless sometimes. The other, the other real benefit of it was it also made me feel kind of seen and and heard, as as you and many mm-hmm. listening know. Um, when you're dealing with a serious illness, it can become part of your identity and not in a healthy way. So, I'd started to feel like a patient, a victim. She just, has cancer. Just exactly like lost somewhere in cancer land, and I was this little bald kid dealing with her mortality and her personal weaknesses and emotions and whatnot. They were coming up that I had no tools whatsoever to deal with anything <laughs> that significant, and definitely not with any grace or wisdom. So, um, I started to see the cancer and the crisis and the thing that needed to be dealt with. And overcome first. So I I kind of lost myself in the disease. So this short story in a really simple way was a way of saying to to everyone and including and especially myself that here's my version of the story. Here's here are things that were going on inside me Mm -hmm. and what I was feeling and seeing for good or for bad in a really vulnerable way. And then just really owning that story. My oncologist at the time was Dr. David Agus, and mm-hmm. some people may recognize him. He He's now a best-selling author, and he's CBS health correspondent and a really respected researcher. He was curious about my writing, so I'd shown him my story. The next appointment, he told me he was starting a new website called oncology.com and asked if I'd wanted to write a personal experience column for Personal experience column was basically blogs before they were blogs. There was no blogs back then. This was 1999, 1998, Mm -hmm. and the column did very well and eventually became my memoir and, to be honest, the true beginning of me being ready to heal after my cancer experience. You need to know that— I was inspired by you at the time, but even after my diagnosis, I took my cues from what you did, and that's what the podcast is. It's my book. It's my blog, Uh, and it's also uh, opened up doors. But without you doing that, I don't know that I would have had the the guts or the fortitude or the – understand the healing that that it – can occur when you do that, mm-hmm. when you share your story. So thank you. You're welcome. That's very nice to to hear. I appreciate that. And it also is illustrating the point of there are lots of ways to tell your story. Uh, I do want to, you know, sort of back this up with some, um, you know, science. Asian Journal of Psychology uh, shows uh, in their study that the use of levodopa, which were probably all using right now, uh, not you, but me, uh, Rebecca, uh, increases creativity in people with Parkinson's. And their study says, um, for some, it sparks creative awakenings. And uh, the report has theories on why, but it was more, actually more focused on 
you know, creative expression as therapy and a useful tool to positively cope with the Parkinson's experience, which I think is just really cool. It is really cool. Well, and just from a scientific basis, there's so much we don't know about the brain. So I'm wondering if this is going to reveal something about the brain as well. Is there something in the levodopa that is helping to kind of shut down the noise and open up the creativity? Yeah, that'd be cool to find out. Uh, you know, and, and it's not just levodopa. I mean, writing on its own can help build creativity, but it also has a lot of positive effects. It can help you look at your disease differently and even change your relationship with it. It can help you sleep better, which we know with Parkinson's mm-hmm. is, is very helpful. It can improve cognition. Expressive writing has also been linked with improved mood, well-being, stress levels, depressive symptoms, as well as more physical benefits, things like lower blood pressure, improved lung and liver functioning, and decreased time spent in the hospital. That's amazing, like for just writing. But I also think that it can help many people with Parkinson's who are feeling isolated, as we know that's an issue for a lot of folks in the Parkinson's community. So the process of kind of sharing your writing and participating in a workshop, it helps you feel connected, more comfortable being vulnerable. You get validated when you share your story. It offers a different kind of community and all of those I hear you, I see you moments of understanding that can be really powerfully healing. I see that all the time in the workshop that I'm doing for Parkinson's Society of BC So for these participants, the writing exercises and everything are nice and all, but more than anything, they want somewhere to go, people to see who understand a bit of what they're going through. Mm -hmm. It's just a different version of a support group. Sure. Yeah. The the other day you were were not feeling well, so I went in your stead and I was the substitute teacher and they – Put tacks on my chair and threw paper airplanes at me. It was not, they were not nice at all. No, they were beautiful people. Uh, I spoke with uh, one of the one of the folks there. Uh, his name is Stephen Ward. My wife uh, taught uh, some Parkinson's art classes, and I found that expression through art was very helpful for me. And uh, then she said, "Well, there's this writing class, and so." I thought, well, there's another avenue. So I decided to give it a shot. Have you written anything that surprised yourself? Some comedy about Parkinson's. So it was uh, it was really a hit with the family when I read it to them. And so it gave me an opportunity to share what Parkinson's is like from a humorous perspective. And it made it easier for them to talk to me and ask me questions about how things are really going on for me. Do you, do you uh, write for yourself or do you write for always for, some, for an audience? Um, I'm trying to write more for myself. Like, uh, I find that, that this whole process is one of exploration and an audience helps me focus in ways that... that uh, I can depersonalize it a little bit so I can look a little more closely at things without taking it too personally. What have you learned through your writing about how you're dealing with Parkinson's? Um, Being willing to recognize what is going on for me right at the moment is really important because, you know, it's... It's... um, It's hard. It's hard dealing with it. And sometimes you just want to run and hide from it. But then you stop living. And so, you know, being engaged like this keeps me focused and keeps me engaged. I love that clip. Stephen has really embraced one of the opportunities that writing offers. As I talked about, it can help communicate some of those difficult parts of your inner life and your own experiences to those who love you and care about what you're going through. So early in the workshop, he wrote a wonderful, hilarious piece as part of one of our home writing exercises and got validation for it, for his vulnerability during the workshop. Mm -hmm. And therefore, then he shared the piece with his family 
And it opened up a new conversation and a new level of understanding for all of them. Yeah, and that's it's sometimes hard to start that discussion. People are uncomfortable. They don't know what to ask. It's, you know, family are like, oh, you shake it weird or whatever. Uh, and they don't want to offend you. And so writing something gives them something to react to. Yes. When they see you being vulnerable and in, in this case, being vulnerable, but also finding humor. Right. In the situation, it breaks down those barriers and allows everybody to to open up. Everybody's heart kind of opens up and is feels better asking questions, feels more comfortable sharing what they're feeling about it. This is from a piece I wrote for pdwise.com. It's titled Losing Your Doctor. The letter arrives about two years after that fateful morning when I was only 48 years old and he uttered those life-changing words. I think you are in the beginning stages of Parkinson's disease. I should have anticipated the letter. After all, at my second appointment, he said he expected to practice another couple of years. Not only this, but looking back, he had already reduced his hours and worked three days a week. Perhaps he wanted to wean me and hundreds of others off his life-sustaining care. Or maybe he hoped to wean himself after four-plus decades of a dedicated professional life. Either way, he said, when the time comes, I will make sure you get with another neurologist who will take good care of you. I knew all along that the time would come too soon. It's been a privilege taking care of you, the letter says and a lump forms in my throat and emptiness numbs my chest, like when moving away from my best friends in middle school or when a former girlfriend told me she wanted to break up. Now, age 51, the adult world's norms do not temper my despair. Why might losing a doctor prompt such primitive and painful emotions? My name is Alan Cole. I host a blog called PDYs, which you can find at pdwise.com. I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease in the fall of 2016 at the age of 48. I write because it helps me to know better what I think and what I feel. Uh, I get more clarity about my experience as I write, and I hope that when I publish something, it serves to form and strengthen connections with other people. I find that writing and uh, sharing my work with others, just as reading others' work myself helps me feel less lonely, makes life less painful with Parkinson's, and that means more hope for living well with this disease. Uh, through my hosting duties of uh, the Parkinson's IQ Plus U events with the Michael J. Fox Foundation, I've met some amazing people in the Parkinson's community who are also prolific writers. Uh, in Phoenix, I met a lady named Ava Butler. My husband, my soulmate husband, Richard, had Parkinson's and Lewy body dementia. He was diagnosed in 2010, although had it had symptoms much earlier, and he passed away in March of 2017. Ava is a great advocate for caregivers and is eager to pass along tips to take care of yourself while taking care of your loved one. For me, it was the, the writing was a small part, actually. Um, exercise, um, yoga, meditation, uh, good friends, wine, and martinis. <laughs> I like that. So she mentioned writing was a small part. It wasn't that small. Uh, the, her writing led to her writing the book Parkinson's, A Love Story with Dementia for Dessert. <laughs> Uh, which is which is fun. Uh, it's based on personal journals that she kept during Richard's illness. Uh, it helped me just articulate my own emotions and feelings. And it also helped me s- uh, see the progression. Like after many years, I did this from probably 2010 until now. And I could see the differences in... Uh, what we had learned, the progression of his disease, um, and, you know, many things. So it was helpful for me in many ways. I did use it for doctors sometimes to say, here's what I saw six months ago or two years ago. Um, so I used it for very many purposes, mainly mainly uh, for me. And then did you, do you find by encouraging other uh, caregivers to, to write 
break down their thoughts and feelings and observations, it's helpful? I think it's helpful for everybody to keep a diary or a um, journal. I was not religious. I didn't do it every day. In fact, there was one period where I didn't write for a year. Um, I think whatever you can do to help yourself um, get through and reflect and learn, um, that's good. Um, I wrote the book because especially around uh, Louis body dementia there's so little known and so few people understand that I thought it was my way to give back find meaning out of all this uh, craziness some people can have Parkinson's disease and Louis body dementia like Robin Williams had both but he only knew he had Parkinson's his family only knew he had Parkinson's until the autopsy and so I, I asked Ava to talk about like what were some of the Richard symptoms like she talked about the hallucinations and, and uh, I wanted her to explain like what that was like for him and for her sometimes they would be very nice like the chair the white chairs the plastic white chairs by the pool turned into a wedding party. We had a lot of weddings. Um, there were band, you know, like the, the lights outside by the trees turned into a band playing. Um, there were African kings on the neighbor's um, patio when they were traveling. Uh, and then also a lot of very scary kinds, like... Um, that would make my husband literally like run out of the house and get in the car and drive, which was not acceptable. But um, there were bad guys, we called them bad guys, with tattoos on their teeth and they had bad intentions and they would be in the house and they would be outside. There'd be commandos in the trees and wars on the other side of the uh, complex where I live. Just crazy things. A whole nother level yes. of... of care partnering. So if this is something you're interested in or you feel like you're dealing with, again, the book is called Parkinson's, A Love Story with Dementia for Dessert, and it's by Ava Butler. All right, now, honey, I want you to read something, okay? Okay. Here you go. Hand this to you. Okay. Sitting in the shadows of my eco-friendly Prius, I scan the parking lot for any sign of life. Out of the corner of my eye, I see movement. A man walking with his head down, looking very suspicious, shifts his gaze towards me. I hold my breath and hunker down. The figure slowly passes me by. Whoa, that was too close for comfort. I regain my focus. I must somehow get out of the car, climb up the stairs, and enter the building, all without being seen. The task at hand is nearly impossible, but I have traveled too far to turn around now. I cautiously open my door while scanning the terrain for any potential threats. The perimeter is secure. I have been preparing for this moment. I jump out of the car like a tiger and begin to run. Go, go, go! I reach the door, grab the handle, throw it open, and step inside. A woman is standing in front of me and says, Back again? With a giggle. Sheepishly, I respond, Yeah, do you mind? As I turn my back to her to expose my unzipped dress, this is my single life. A hot date with the manager at my apartment complex to help me get outfitted while trying not to get caught with my dress down. Being single and dating is hard enough without throwing a neurodegenerative condition in the mix. I mean, seriously, people. It's challenging to find someone who you connect with, let alone finding someone who is worth the effort of shaving your legs on a Friday night. <laughs> Those are the words of Allison Smith. Uh, she was on stage with me in Anaheim for the PDIQ uh, with the Michael J. Fox Foundation. Allison survived colon cancer at 24, and then she was diagnosed with Parkinson's at 32. Oh, my gosh. She's had DBS, deep brain stimulation. She's still very active. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist, so she regularly sees clients, and she's a wellness life coach and on and on. She's probably best known for her blog, The Perky Parky. And she's a clever writer. Oh, she's a very good writer. <laughs> you are The Perky Parky. Yes, I am The Perky Parky. How did that come about? Um, I wanted to find a way that I could extend my reach out into the community with various people, but I wanted it to be something lighthearted and, and something that you could laugh and use humor with. And so I thought that I've always been kind of perky, so that just seems like a good fit, perky perky. So what's, what are the typical things you talk about to somebody who's newly diagnosed? Newly diagnosed is that it's just to let them know it's not a death sentence, that you can still live and still have a good quality of life. You just have to find ways to slow the progression of the illness. 
And then uh, we were talking earlier, and there, there's uh, like distinct differences for why men and women seek out help. Yes. Why, why, why do men, first off, what are like the top three reasons? Top three reasons is losing their ability to drive, losing the ability to have sex, and losing their job. What about women? Why, why do they seek out help? Women seek help because they can't function the way that they used to. Like they can't take care of the kids or clean the house or do what they used to do because of fatigue or their safety issues. They feel like they're not safe anymore in the relationship. Women, it's really interesting. As I talk to men and women about Parkinson's, the, 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 the stress for women uh, who have Parkinson's and, and what's expected of them uh, versus men is, is extremely different. Uh, and, and the roles they play in the family and, and what they're allowed to do and not allowed. Like, they, they, they be still are the main parent and they're still expected to cook and they're still expected to take the kids everywhere. And it's like, but the guys don't. What, what, what's, what's that about? Well, I noticed that the guys tend to get this, this, this belief that they're lazy, that they, they, they are not helping around the house anymore. And the women tend to feel like they're not good enough, doing good enough. They're a burden in the relationship. So having the two different roles there can cause some tension. Yeah, so, so what's, what's, the, what's the answer? You eat lots of chocolate. See, I love you. That's, I've been looking for somebody with a license to give me advice to tell me to eat more chocolate. So eat thank lots you. Of chocolate. No communication is the key. Just have an open line of communication, and that helps with having me in the room to be able to reiterate that and have somebody else say it, even though their wife might have said it to them, or just have somebody else, another voice. Now, who do you talk to? I talk to my dog, Crash. <laughs> <laughs> he keeps me sane. And then, and then what's your support group look like, your support system, your team? My, my wolf pack that I have is my mom, my dad, my friends. I have amazing friends. I have amazing family, and I have lots of great coworkers. I work at a movement disorder clinic, so I have everything at my fingertips that I need. If I don't know the answer to a question, all I have to do is ask my boss, and it's just I'm in a good position. What have you learned through your journey about Parkinson's that you wish you knew when you were diagnosed? Oh, that's a good one. I would say that um, that it's not going to get as bad as quick as you think it is. Because right when you get the diagnosis, you immediately think you're going downhill and nothing's going to save you. I, I've been 10 years now stable. I want people to know that there's still life after the diagnosis. So you can read Allison's blog at perkyperky.com. I'll spell that. P-E-R-K-Y-P-A-R-K-I-E.com. Perky Perky. Perky Perky. Uh, speaking of uh, Perky... The guy behind <laughs> Parky Life is Matt Eagles. Uh, he's had uh, Parkinson's since he was seven. Uh, and when Ozzy Osbourne was diagnosed, or at least came out with his diagnosis, he wrote an open letter to Ozzy and his family uh, and made a big splash in the newspaper in England. Uh, and here I'm going to read Matt's letter. Dear Ozzy, as the Prince of Darkness, I know you've had some real rough times, particularly in the last year or so. A Parkinson's diagnosis is a tough gig. However, it isn't catastrophe. With a strong family around you, with the humor you share and the love you have for one another, you can do this. Keep doing what you do. Guys, don't Google Parkinson's. The SEO will send you to the Wikipedia page with an illustration of an old guy in slippers hunched over. (laughs) This is what the world perpetuates Parkinson's to be, a disease of an old white Caucasian man. This does not represent rock stars like you or me. This image is over 140 years old. Parkinson's doesn't discriminate between ages, races, sexes, or religions. It is my lifelong goal to change the world's perception of this neurological disorder. And with your help, we can do this together. There's no shame in Parkinson's. It just presents us with different challenges each day. Keep moving. Keep rocking. Love, Matt Eagles. That's great. Isn't that great? Matt is a great example of constantly expressing himself creatively and getting a great sense of purpose out of that, lighting up a lot of people's days with his perky cards and Mm -hmm. and the humor that he just flows from his pores about Parkinson's and how long he's been dealing with this and and the symptoms that he has. Yeah, he created his whole parky life world. So go to parkylife.com and check out Matt Eagle's stuff. He's the best. My blog post is entitled, Boxing Changed My Outlook. I have to start the boxing story somewhere. This story will take more than one post. It begins on February 2018, a few days after being diagnosed. I literally had no idea 
what I was supposed to do, who to talk to. I think most of us are so lost after the diagnosis that it takes a while for it to sink in and allow you to be able to say the words, I have Parkinson's. We were literally numb for three months. We were scared, alone, depressed, and every other word you can think of. My words exactly, I believe, were WTF, no way, I have Parkinson's. My former therapist had a client who had PD, and I wasn't ready to talk to anyone, but I did pick up the phone two months after the diagnosis. She immediately told me about LDBF boxing for Parkinson's. For those of you who know me, know that I hate to exercise, always have. But for some reason, this seemed like the punch in the face I needed, and that was a pun intended. Hi, my name is Ellen Bookman. I'm 54 and was diagnosed at age 52 in 2018. I've always been better expressing myself in writing. I write this blog so nobody has to go through what I did. To let those diagnosed with PD know that there are people out there who can pull you across that first finish line, the diagnosis, and beyond. You can find my blog at loving living.net. That's one word, lovingliving.net. Larry, do you have any writing you want to share? Uh, you know, I, I have been writing some uh, Parkinson stuff recently, uh, and I've got one here. I, I don't know that it's done, but it is, um, it's as complete as it is in the moment. <laughs> it's as complete as it needs to be. Okay. Uh, this is called I'm Not Ready. I'm scared and changed. I'm not ready for this. Still adjusting and coming to terms. Is this my body? Why can't I turn? Struggling, thriving, struggling again. I'm not ready. I'm lonely. And yet, supported. On, off. On, off. Wide awake in the middle of the night, exhausted in the afternoon. I can't stop moving and I can't start moving. I'm not ready. I'm stiff. Still scared. Depressed. Don't care. Waiting. 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 Okay, I'm ready. Where's that cure? I'm living in a drug-induced blur. Old friends fade and fall away. I'm not ready for this. I had a plan. I mapped it out. This, this, this is... It takes the piss. Everything is shuffled, dealt a new hand. My body disobeys. It's hard to understand. I think I'm ready. It is time for a restart. Drop the clubs, start collecting hearts. Making new friends. I won't fold. I'm all in. Trying on new perspectives. Finding joy is the new objective. Live, love, laugh. Finding hope, shining lights, advocating and seeing sights. My tears of grief and sorrow will turn to joy tomorrow. Yesterday's chronic pain fades gently from my brain. I'm ready. I'm ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. That's beautiful, my love. Thanks. So it's kind of stream of consciousness with structure. It's very um, representative of how I feel on any given day. Well, and it was very real and authentic, vulnerable. Do you want to share any of the writing you've done around PD? I did find something that I wrote about a year ago, and it was in reaction to something Parkinson's related. So, oh, okay. So one minute that morning, I was contemplating the uncertainty of our family's future. Mm-hmm. Boom. And then, and then spent 15 minutes trying to get my son to brush his teeth. <laughs> So, so I was kind of, okay, well, what can I learn from this situation? And had a moment to sit down with my journal, and here's what I came up with. Could I be an eagle if I wanted to? Seeing the world all at once. Eyes clear enough to watch the grasshopper and big enough to have both the sun and moon in one flick. Is it easier to be the chickadee? Each branch a new land each seed a satisfying mouthful. I choose the eagle who rests and enjoys a high perch or a bit of river with a snack, who says hello to the land by choice, whose world is as small or as giant as he can have that evening. 
The chickadee can only see its lovely bramble. The eagle's options are limitless. It's lovely. Why, thank you. And, and so did you know you wanted to be the eagle before you sat down to write? I don't remember. I think so. I think it was, um, if I recall, it was a reminder to myself to not get too mired in the minutia and the challenges of everyday life or even the, the celebration of everyday life only. It was a reminder that the bigger picture is always available to you and the, the grandest limitless energy is always helpful to giving that minutia perspective and meaning. So all season long, we've been asking people to lend their voice to the pod, and this episode is no different. We've got lots of, uh, of people that have chimed in. You can leave your voice message online at speakpipe.com slash when life gives you Parkinson's. Thanks to everybody who contributed today to their writing, and thanks for spending some time with us. Always a pleasure. Thank you, honey, for being here. I love you. I love you. <laughs> I love you. Coming up on the next episode of When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Well, they cut me from my where your hair start the hairline and then put in four canisters that went deep into my brain and then you had another bit of plumbing to a port behind your left ear, which is where the infusions were given. So all that, man, you still haven't tried this miracle medicine yet. The first infusion, you only literally got a rain-sized drop, but it took two and a half hours to infuse it so slowly. By the time I'd had the second infusion, I noticeably felt different. I got my life back. My tremor still hasn't come back. And how did you find out that the GDF trial failed? It could, if it, if it had been designed differently, it wouldn't have failed. But the majority of us definitely had an improvement. And as a patient group, I know that we were all absolutely heartbroken that it came to that and Pfizer pulled the, the plug on phase three. When Life Gives You Parkinson's is a Curious Cast podcast. Our presenting partner is Parkinson Canada, parkinson.ca. Interested in learning more about the Parkinson's and connecting to the community? I encourage you to save the date for the 6th World Parkinson Congress, also known as the WPC 2022. It'll be held in Barcelona June 7th to 10th, 2022. Barcelona, Spain, that is. Are you ready for that, honey? Awesome. Yeah, can't wait. It, paella, by the way. Paella. Can't wait to have some paella. Tapas. Ooh, tapas. It's the only uh, totally inclusive scientific conference that opens its doors to people with Parkinson's and families. We'll be there. You should come join us. Learn more at WPC2022.org. If you'd like to help spread the word, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free to this podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere you get your streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. You can also check us out on social media at Parkinson's Pod or email us at Pod at CuriousCast.ca. And be sure to check out the show notes for more information about what you heard today and links to all our guests. When Life Gives You Parkinson's is written and hosted by me, Larry Gifford, and today, Rebecca Gifford. Dila Velazquez is our story producer and sound designed by Rob Johnston. Keep positive. Keep exercising. And keep listening. We'll talk to you next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.